You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everyone. It's nice to be around smart people. This week, we've got words of wisdom from people who tackle the same issues you do, but better. Which categories are you nominated in this evening? Uh, worst IR of any TSX listed. You want to start again? <laughs> IR Magazine award winners reveal their secrets and their plans for 2017. Plus, we've got highlights from Corporate Secretary Magazine's ninth Corporate Governance Awards. The people in there tonight are the real heroes behind Corporate America. And how IR saved a struggling German power company. I believe that uh, investor relations should be more courageous. Um, Investor relations, uh, you can break up existing structures and processes. You can bring a different perspective to decision-making. That's coming up later. But first, here's this week's IR update. IR budgets get cut in Europe and Asia, but rise in North America. According to the latest IR Magazine Global Investor Relations Practice Report, while North American budgets rose by $70,000, the average European IR budget has fallen by $95,000. The fattest IR budgets are found at European mega-cap companies, where they average just over $2.6 million. Asian mid-caps have the lowest budgets, where the average IR team has about $142,000 to play with. The UK's Investment Association will have a new chairman. Peter Harrison, Group Chief Executive at Schroeder's, will take over the job May 1st. The biggest challenge of the next 10, 15 years is going to be the the way in which our industry is changing. Undoubtedly, we face headwinds. Harrison succeeds Helena Morrissey. And finally, good news for the IR job market in Germany. The number of IR job ads rose 5% in 2016, according to research by IR services firm Cometis. While modest, the rise compares favorably with the 20% decline in advertised positions recorded in the two previous years. And a Corn Ferry survey finds three-quarters of German IROs have enjoyed a salary increase during the last two years. Corn Ferry says IR salaries rose an average of 8%, between 2015 and 2016. Welcome to the Corporate Governance Awards 2016. Celebrate the best in governance, companies and individuals who are setting and maintaining the highest standards of corporate governance, risk and compliance. Congratulations to everybody who has been nominated. Already a winner! What began as an evening dedicated to honoring excellence in corporate governance ended up in apparent all-out late capitalism bacchanalian frenzy. The IR Magazine news team has uncovered a pre-viral YouTube video that tells the story of governance, compliance, and risk professionals gone wild. My team and I are nominated for an award, so this is always a great time to celebrate with the team and all the year's accomplishments. And, you know, we we love Corporate Secretary Magazine in this event. Congratulations, everybody. As long as you're here, you're a winner in some way. The, the people in there tonight are the real heroes 
behind corporate America. The video recounts the events of a gala awards dinner held last November at the prestigious Cipriani Wall Street. At first, everything seemed normal. Visa and Splunk won prizes for Governance Team of the Year, and GE's Aaron Briggs and Atlas Air's Adam Kokus were named Governance Professionals of the Year. The ceremonies revealed one clear theme, that the role of corporate secretary, and all the many versions of that title, has been raised to new heights. Compliances is companies doing the right thing for investors, for regulators, for society. You are the ones who know just how hard that work is. Best use of technology, and the winner is Microsoft. Uh, and so we're just deeply honored. I will say it's not me. It is the team that made this possible. Trust me. However, IR Magazine analysts conclude a major change of decorum occurred in the immediate aftermath of the awards presentation. Podcast listeners can view the images on IR Magazine's YouTube channel. Canadian IROs do it every year, in the middle of winter. They gather in Toronto for the IR Magazine Canada Awards. Digital editor Ben Ashwell was there, and he asked some of the top contenders about constructing a winning IR program in 2017. First up, start with an IR-centric corporate culture. Agnico Eagle Mines, Brian Christie. There's a very strong focus on investor relations at Agnico, and I think it goes back uh, to our original uh, founder, Paul Penna. He was always engaged with the shareholders, and uh, you know I think Sean's done a tremendous job to keep that culture. And so uh, we market extensively. We did about 500 one-on-ones last year. Uh, we travel all over the world, uh, Asia, Europe, uh, United States, Canada. So uh, it's a very important part of what we do. And I feel fortunate that I can take most of my C-suite out with me. I, I even take, uh, you know, some of my vice presidents. So uh, we make an effort to get out with a lot of our uh, management team. And I think investors like that. Excellent. And, and what's on the dock for 2017? What do you have planned and how do you intend to sort of divide and conquer amongst, uh, amongst the executive team? The, uh, it's the same plan. Like, uh, it's working well, so we don't uh, plan to change very much. One thing I think we are going to focus on is the last year or so we've been looking at more generalist U.S. investors, big U.S. pension funds that have an interest in gold. They seem to be coming around to having some gold in their portfolio. Portfolios, so we're going out to more exotic places to see, uh, like some of the state pension funds. So I think uh, that should be interesting. Well, it's an interesting time with the U.S. election just having happened. So you know, we look like looks like we're heading to uh, you know another year of unpredictability or, or even uncertainty in the market. John Farron is senior vice president, corporate CFO, and investor relations at CIBC. 
So, you know, our, our mantra has always been about consistency, consistency with our program, our outreach strategy. So we will continue to, you know, seek out new targets, look to diversify our shareholder base, both by geography, by type of institution, um, and, you know, just be out there with a transparent, uh, you know, current story on how we're doing as a bank. How important is it for you to be responsive to your investors? And what have you done sort of internally to get your sort of, you know, other directors on board so that you can respond to to questions in a, in a timely manner? Oh, I think it's very important. In fact, we've uh, developed metrics to measure, you know, how quickly we respond to inquiries or we get back to our shareholders and our analysts uh, in the investment community at large. I, I think that's table stakes. I mean, you have to do that really well. And, you know, re- research would tell you it does impact your valuation. Um, so, you know, being responsive, you might not have all the answers right away, but you need to acknowledge inbound requests. You need to get back to them and, you know, you need to have ongoing dialogue for sure. Mason Graphite is a Quebec-based mining and processing company developing what might be one of the purest graphite deposits in the world. It aims to finally achieve production this year. Vice President of Corporate Development Simon Marcotte describes the year ahead and what Canadian small caps can do to attract cross-border investment. Uh, Well, this year is the year that everything happens for the company. So we've been working at it for five years now, but it's all getting together in the next few months. Sure. Uh, so it's about pinning, uh, pinning down the construction financing. So we already have uh, 35 uh, institutional shareholders that we know of. So it's about finalizing uh, all that and the debt and the equity. But things are pretty much uh, aligned. Uh, and then uh, it will be to, to make the company aware um, to new investors that can only invest into cash flow producing company. So it will be uh, quite a good uh, transition year for, for Mason. Yeah, that sounds very exciting. And uh, how does trading on the OTCQX best market help you achieve your cross-border trading goals with the U.S. market? It, it did help a lot, actually. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, institutions and also uh, wealthy investors uh, that cannot trade in Canada for for different reasons. Uh, and if you look, especially in the past uh, 12 months, we've had quite a bit uh, of pickup in the volume on the OTCQX. Uh, and talking to those shareholders, uh, they could not trade uh, in, in Toronto. Uh, and they, they are um, machines that do the arbitrage between the liquidity in Canada and the quote on E2CQX. So it's, it's a very good platform. Uh, it's been helping us out a lot. Calgary-based Verison claimed the award for most progress in investor relations. Director of Corporate Planning and Investor Relations, Mark Chike-Sice, reflects on the energy infrastructure firm's ascent over the last 12 months. I think that we've got a great company, but um, we've spent a lot of time and effort making our story more accessible to investors and more clear where we see the value in our company. And we think that that's really helped uh, the shareholders and helped the share price. So uh, it's something that we want to keep doing. But um, as we all know, it's a it's an ever never ending battle to put out the best to disclosure, be the most accessible. But I think that was a big challenge for us through the year. Mm. And who have you uh, had as in- internal ambassadors for the IR department, sort of, uh, you know, backing you along the way? Yeah, our, our our group is fairly small in the sense uh, that it was just myself as a team. But I think Don, the uh, Altoff, the CEO, and Teresa, um, the CFO, really carry the torch for our IR group. It's really just the three of us that go on the road. But um, at the end of the day, we all know as IR professionals, that's ultimately what the investors invest in, not us. 
Sure. And uh, what's on the docket for 2017? What do you have lined up? Well, I mean, it is very... Uh pleasant to be nominated for um, an award for most progress but you know we, we'd really like to work towards being best in class so we're going to keep up uh, our efforts to be accessible improve our disclosure and, and really get the most value we can in the share price um, it's a long journey and we'll keep at it little bit about um, IR um, in uh, change management. Uh, how can I... Gunhild Grief is head of investor relations at German utility company RWE. At last year's IR magazine conference, UK and Ireland, Grief recounted how IR first prompted a strategic review and then helped craft a bold new direction for a business that had lost the faith of capital markets. We've laid out the challenges facing RWE. RWE, a German utility, um, got under immense pressure um, starting, well, probably it started a little bit after um, the 2008 financial crisis um, when um, the economies um, declined um, with it uh, in time, power prices came down. But it was actually exacerbated by, in 2011, after Fukushima, when the German government decided to phase out nuclear power um, in Germany, where we suddenly lost um, part of our earnings. Um, we started to mitigate that um, with um, cost um, um, efficiency programs to mitigate the earnings fall um, and went on, um, kind of the decline <laughs> continued, uh, we went on then to dispose of uh, non-core uh, businesses to uh, improve the balance sheet. Um, unfortunately, that didn't help either. And at the beginning of 2015, we came to a point where, from an IR perspective, we just said, we, it's, we cannot sell the story anymore. I mean, there was really, um, when I was asked to develop um, the presentation for our full year results, where we also gave, um, normally give our strategic update, it was kind of a point where we said um, investors don't want to hear from us anymore because we do not come up with kind of, a, a, we are not prepared to change a few months before that, um, our main competitor in Germany announced a, um, a quite big um, transformational restructuring, um, and uh, we didn't seem to to react. Um, at the same time, the German government announced um, a potential phase out of coal, which would have kind of taken the other half of our earnings away. So. Um, we, as RR, we said, okay, uh, we have to, we have to um, kind of come up with a solution here. Determined and maybe a bit desperate, Grieve and her team took bold and unusual action. ourselves two days into a room and uh, kind of took a blank sheet of paper and said, if we could kind of rewrite the equity story, um, still having in mind what, as a company, we can offer, what would we do? And um, we kind of drew up um, our equity story and we went to the board and said this is what we would like to do this is how we would like to change the company um, what do you say um, the board was um, yeah they said okay um, 
got it, uh, understand that uh, our story is very difficult to sell. And they sent us into a competition with another team. So they said, um, we will have a strategic workshop um, and you will have um, two competing teams um, to present um, a kind of strategic, strategic options and then we will take it from there. That happened in August 2015 um, and uh, we had those two teams presenting. One option was um, chosen with um, the goal to develop it further and then um, it actually accelerated from there. I think when in end of August, beginning of September, when we said we would explore this route, I think nobody thought that on the 1st of December we would go out and actually say we are doing this. So just what did RWE do? We actually decided to bundle um, our downstream businesses and our renewables businesses in a new company and um, bring that company to the market. Um, it's, um, it has to be understood, this is the bigger part of our company. So our, from of RWE, um, now the now called um, company Energy is roughly 60 60% or almost two-thirds um, of RWE. So this was a big kind of step. Um, what, what did we think would it do? Uh, we thought that um, the advantages would be you kind of detach the two parts which have clearly the one part which is growing, which has um, um, stable earnings from the part which is more volatile uh, where the earnings are under pressure. Um, by um, kind of um, listing it and, and letting RWE hold on to a stake, um, we would allow RWE to have access or to, to further sell it down when they uh, need cash for their uh, long-term provisions, like uh, the nuclear provisions and the mining provisions. So it's still kind of, it, it provides uh, financial flexibility. And the other thing is we thought that... Um, before doing that, the part which was in, within energy, um, investors didn't look at it. The investors didn't appreciate the value which was in that company because it was all overshadowed by the other parts of RWE, the conventional power generation. The IPO took nine months to bring to market. Energy listed on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange on October 7, 2015. The original project had been tweaked. But as the idea's originator, IR played a central role throughout the process. I also believe it was the key um, to have a successful IPO. We um, basically, um, we drove the equity story and made sure that we have all elements which investors were expecting of such a company in terms of um, transparency, um, dividend policy, um, management remuneration, um, medium-term um, strategy, capital allocation. Um, we did have a, a few challenges along the way because one thing was, um, for example, at the beginning, our management um, was thinking of um, kind of maybe being kind of CEO at RWE and being CEO of uh, the subsidiary, uh, which investor relations said straight away, no, that's that's a no-go. <laughs> it's absolutely, um, investors uh, would hate that. 
they need to uh, they need to be sure that that are two independent companies that want that there is no conflict of interest there. Um, that um, yeah, energy has can kind of follow its own strategy and RWE can do the same. Um, so that was that. The other thing was that um, along the way we um, tried to kind of change some KPIs, which we reported, for example, at RWE, we have always um, provided uh, financial guidance on um, EBIT, where um, we kind of just thought RWE, um, utilities were often valued on EBITDA multiples. So we said, if this is an IPO and you want a quick and dirty valuation from, from investors, then we should give um, guidance uh, of EBITDA. And... Um, and also, uh, management remuneration is something which was not never kind of um, uh, very transparent, and um, and and uh, total shareholder return didn't um, feature that well in uh, previously in it. So we made sure that um, that that was also um, looked after. In terms of the financials um, here. Um, that was also kind of driven by us. Um, we made sure that um, it is. We, we took a valuation approach, so we made sure that we um, kind of set up uh, outside-in view and model how the how the capital market would look at uh, at energy and model it to make sure that then exactly what they need we would make transparent in um, the prospectus and um, the analyst presentation. And last but not least, also that we provided uh, a profit guidance, which is something in IPOs um, is not often done because of legal reasons. I must say I spent a lot of time with lawyers over the last nine months. Um, and But we did get it done and we put uh, we, we gave the market a profit guidance, which I believe was also an uh, underpinned devaluation in the end during the IPO. Um, marketing, of course, uh, was driven by us as well. Um, we made sure that uh, we got the investor targeting right, um, kind of what sort of company energy is, what investors would like um, to, or what, what, which which type of investor would want to to invest in it. Um, we also uh, kind of made sure that within the syndicate, which was uh, marketing the IPO. We had um, the right, um, or we had banks in there where we knew the analysts well, where we knew um, they write uh, very good research, and also in terms of some of the specialist sales um, people who have the best access um, in our sector to investors were there, um, and that uh, that really helped in terms of throughout the nine months getting. Um, kind of feedback from the market, um, what they might want to hear, what are their concerns, and addressing that along the way. In the end, Grief says IROs that want a seat at the table can have one, if they earn it. I believe that uh, investor relations should be more courageous, um, be seen, or uh, investor relations, uh, you can break up existing structures and processes, you can bring a different perspective to decision-making, you do know what the capital market is looking for um, and, and you understand your investor base and you can be a challenger. Even, even if the company takes different decisions, um, nothing holds you back of challenging those um, decisions and you should be the devil's advocate and just make sure that those decisions are being taken with everything in mind what the management should have in mind. 
Um, so there should be a speak up mentality um, within the company. And, uh, but also IR has to earn it. So you, you definitely have to do your part as well, kind of um, be transparent, feedback what the market is saying. Also bring your management in front of investors, the right investors where you know that it's a, it's a two-way dialogue so that they hear it um, themselves as well and that they trust you. And um, it's, a, it's a long process of work, hard work, and um, that, that you gain um, the trust of management. But once you have it, you can actually, I think, uh, support them in their steering of the company. Got that. First, you win their trust. Then you basically take over. Check out the full color video at irmagazine.com. They call him Britain's Malcolm Gladwell. For the last three years, I've been thinking about failure. Failure is everywhere, and it's fascinating. Tim Harford is a world-renowned behavioral economist, an award-winning Financial Times columnist, and a BBC broadcaster. If you're in London Thursday, March 2nd, you can hear him speak at a cocktails and networking evening in Q4 and IR Magazine. Ask for an invite back to you right away. Then, exactly three weeks later, the IR Magazine Awards US happens March 23rd at Cipriani Wall Street. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Cossette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.